<laughs> Grab your seats, ladies and gentlemen. So good to be together, isn't it? So good to be in the house of God. Who's glad that you're here in church this morning? Yes, come on. Are you going to give me lots of feedback this morning? Okay, who's going to be louder? This side, I want you to say Jesus after three. One, two, three. Oh, this side, one, two, three, say hallelujah. Oh, this side, I'm banking on this side winning. That's right. So you can talk back at the preacher this morning. Yeah, is that good? Cool. So three weeks today is... Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Hasn't it come round fast? Hallelujah. That's it. Amen to that. It is Christmas Day, three weeks today. And in the lead up to Christmas, one of the things I love to do is when I've invited guests to come round for Christmas Day or Boxing Day or over the Christmas period, is to get my Christmas table ready. Come on, who's with me on that? Getting the table organised. And I always do it the night before, so it's ready for the day. And I love getting the tablecloth out. I love getting the extra table in, out of the garage, to make it a bigger space, because we might have 14 or 15 people around our table. And then I love to dress the table. love to get the best, shiniest glasses out. My best cutlery, the centerpiece, the candles, the work, so it's ready for people to come. And then I always have to add the emergency chairs. <laughs> Who knows about the emergency chairs? <laughs> yeah? Because there's always that dressing table stool. There's this swivel office chair who the kids fight over. And then, believe it or not, some of the very chairs you are sitting on this morning we borrow from church. <laughs> Don't worry, we do return them. And we have them around our table because there's a seat for everybody at our table. And the title of my message today is Pull Up a Chair. And I want to share with you today about pulling up a chair at the table. And the truth is I could lay on my table out on Christmas Eve and be very excited about Christmas Day. But unless I've sent out the invitations, no one is going to show up at my table. And it'd be all that effort, effort wasted because I've forgotten to send out the invitations. And today I have a message for people, for everybody today to say there's a seat at the king's table for you. There's a seat at the table, so it's time to pull up a chair. So visualize that chair and pull it up at the table. And this invitation to the king's table is not just for those who know Jesus. It's for those who don't know Jesus yet. It's for those who follow Jesus for a long time. This invitation is for the rich and for the poor, for the affluent, for the unseen people. This chair is for the people that are stressed out about Christmas. And this chair is for the people that are chilled out this time of year. You know, all you men, Christmas Eve shoppers, this chair is for you to come. This is for all. Because this invitation to the king's table is for every single person that would ever be born and walk the face of this earth. It's an invitation for the king. And the king is saying today, you have a chair and you have a seat at my table. God's invitation is for all, because as we've shared communion this morning, he came and gave his son, Jesus, to live a completely blameless life and die in place of you and I. He took all of our sin and all of our shame and he went to the cross so that you and I can be reconciled with God. He came and took away all our shortcomings and he made a way that we could have relationship with God and relationship with God is coming to the table and taking a seat 
and having fellowship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus made that for us. He made the way for us. The only way we get to the Father is through the Son. And aren't you glad this morning that we get to celebrate Christmas in three weeks' time? Because for unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will rule and reign with passion. And he will rule and reign as a just king. And that's our Jesus. And he died for all. Everybody, all races, all creeds, all walks of life, Jesus laid down his life so he could raise us up. And we're celebrating that today. So let's look at Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. And this is where I'm going to test you on this screen, the uh, missing words. That's your homework, but no, here we go. (laughs) But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I have very bad feedback on the mic, by the way. Just let you guys know. Um, So that verse there is absolutely wonderful. It's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made, not just for some, not just for the few, but for the all, that we would all come into relationship with him. That's God's heart, that all would be reconciled to himself. And Jesus coming and living this blameless life and dying and rising again made a new covenant. Jesus is our new covenant and our promises are always yes and amen through Jesus. So we can say hallelujah this morning and thank you for the new covenant. So I want to encourage you today through this message. Maybe you'd say I've pulled up a chair at the king's table and that's amazing but it's time for you to pull up a chair for someone else it's time for you to get out the emergency chair and say I see an emergency going on here I see there's a need here and I want to pull up a chair for somebody else so I'm going to encourage you with that this morning and I want to look at a portion of scripture today which highlights this brilliantly and in this scripture it's very powerful and it's very um, prophetic of the coming of Jesus But I want to show you in this story that you might be one or two or three different characters in this story. But actually how it's going to encourage you to either pull up your own seat at the table. Or if you've already done that, pull up a seat for somebody else. So you're getting ready to get that chair out, guys? Cool. Right, so I've got to set the scene. We love a little bit of a history lesson, don't we, in church? So here we go. Going to story time for you. So I'm going to set the scene. We find this in the book of Samuel. And this is when King Saul is king at the time. But David has been anointed to be king. And King Saul is not happy about this. He's got a bounty on David's head. He's very jealous of him. He wants to kill him. He's after him because he knows David is the rightful king. And King Saul has a son called Jonathan. And Jonathan and David become really amazing friends. In fact, they have what the Bible calls a covenant relationship. They have each other's backs. They're looking after and out for each other. Jonathan, on numerous occasions, saves David's life by giving him the heads up on what Saul's next attack and plan will be on his life. And they form this amazing bond of real love of one another and taking care of one another. It's such an amazing picture. You see, Jonathan loves his dad Saul, but he, no- he believes in covenant. And he knows that Samuel the prophet has anointed David as king, and that's God's choice. And so he knows that. So as much as he loves his dad and honors his dad, he's looking out for David because he knows he's the chosen one. And they form this wonderful bond, and you can read it all through the scripture in, in Samuel. And then it comes to a point 
situation where David and Jonathan are such great friends. And Jonathan says to David, you know, if I'm to die in battle, will you look after my family? And David makes a covenant with Jonathan and he agrees and he promises, I will look after you. Anyway, one day, tragedy does happen. Saul and Jonathan are fighting against the Philistines. And when they're fighting, they're both killed in the battle. And this is where our story begins. Because they're killed in battle, and then word gets back, the king and the king's son have been killed in battle, and it gets back to the kingdom. This is a tragedy. It's like, gosh, our king is gone, and his son is gone. I mean, you imagine it in today's culture, if suddenly we know on the news that uh, King Charles has died, and so has Prince William. I mean, imagine that would rock our nation, wouldn't it? And this is what happened. And word gets back of this. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. And it's talking about Jonathan's son here. So Jonathan, son of Saul, who was king, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. I've practiced that name many times this week. Mephibosheth. I've stood in the mirror, Mephibosheth. There you go. Got it out there. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. But what happens is, you see, Jonathan has got a son. He's a five-year-old boy. He's living in the kingdom. His granddad is Saul and his dad is Jonathan. And he's getting on with his life in an ordinary day that would have been for him. What do five-year-old boys like to do? Play with mud, climb trees, do whatever he was doing. And then in a moment, in an instant, his life was changed forever. Because his nurse, the nanny that was looking after him, got word Saul and Jonathan have been killed. And in that moment, she went into protective mode. So she picked up the boy and she went to flee and take him to another place because she knew what would happen. You see, when a king would die, the next king had the authority and the right to go after all members of his family and kill them and obliterate them because he'd set up his new dynasty. He would be the new king. And so she went to protect this boy from being killed. She went to hide him for this tragedy. But in that moment, even more tragedy struck because she dropped him. And when she dropped him, his life changed. He became lame in both of his legs. Five-year-old boy, just like that, life took a turn for the worse. She went to protect him, but she dropped him. In that moment, she then decided to flee to a different land. I've got to hide this boy because he's got a bounty on his head now. He's, He's the king's grandson. I need to look after him. I need to hide him. So she decided to take him to a place called Lodabar. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been born and bred in Colchester. And when people ask me, where are you from? When we go to different towns or go on holiday, where are you from? Colchester. And I could always say this, but I have to change what I say now. I could always say, Britain's oldest recorded town. (laughs) With great pride. We were the first town. But now I have to say, Britain's oldest recorded city. Woo! We have city status. But if you'd asked anybody that lived in Lodabar, so where are you from? I'm from Lodabar, the place of nothing, the place of doom and gloom, the place of no communication. Because that's what Lodabar means. That's where I'm from. What do you say to someone? Ah, sounds cracking. (laughs) Can I come round for Christmas? I mean, the place of nothing, the place of forgottenness. The desolate place, the place of no hope, place of doom 
and gloom. It doesn't have a good ring to it, does it? But this is where Mephibosheth was taken to protect him, but it didn't protect him in the long run. But let's see what happens in his story. But I want to show you that in the natural, he was crippled. You could see his injury. You know, no, no medicine like we have nowadays, no wheelchairs, none of the stuff that we have to look after him. So he was crippled. He probably had to drag himself everywhere in that time. And that's how he grew up as his five-year-old boy. But the thing is, around us, church, there are people that are crippled. And it moves me. So I'm talking about the lost. There are people, and we can't see on the outside how crippled they are. Because on the outside, to the world standards, they're getting on all right. They look all right. Got a good job. Their family's okay. The situation looks okay. They, they look provided for. They've got a house. But on the inside, people are crippled. Then in a moment, a phone call comes. Or in a moment, the divorce happened and the children felt dropped. In a moment, the negative report from the doctor came and life changed. In a moment, somebody said, I don't want to be with you anymore. And it broke someone on the inside. All those people who are just trying to get by in life, we see them everywhere. We see them at work. We see them in the supermarket. We see them on the school run. We see them at college. There are people who are limping along in life and just trying to get on with it. And yet you and I, church, we know the answer they need. We know how we can get them out of a place of low debar, of nothingness and desolation and doom and gloom and invite them to the king's table where there's a chair for them, where there's a name tag for them. You know, around our Christmas table, our children like to write everybody's name and they draw a picture and they'll put a name tag around because that's for grandma and, and that's for Uncle Barry and that's for my cousin. And they put it around the table because they want to invite people around the table. And you see, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords has a name tag for each and every person. And he's saying, I want them all to come to the table. I want them all to come and taste and see that I am good. That I'm the, the, the amazing God that will heal their brokenness. That I'm what they need and they don't even realize it yet. That what's missing in my life? Why do I feel like this? Why do I think like this? Why can't I just seem to move on? Because you need to be connected with your creator with Jesus and we can be the church and the people that say I'm pulling up a seat for you come to my table amen so as we go into the story this is many many years later so Mephibosheth is now grown up and he's actually got a son of his own and he's living in the place of Lodabar and one day, David, who is now serving as king, and the Bible tells us that he's serving as a right and just king, and he's doing well in Israel, and he's looking after the people. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but there was one day when he woke up, and he woke up with this thought, and we find it in 2 Samuel, verse, uh, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David woke up, and then he asked his attendants, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And David's question shows great love. You see, he is now king. He's been reigning and ruling as king for a long time. And 
rather than think I want to take revenge on Saul's family, you know, Saul, the one who tried to, to throw arrows and knives at me, the one who tried to kill me, the one who tried to hunt me down, the one who tried to make my life misery, I want to get revenge on him and his family. No, he woke up and something stirred up with him with a heart of compassion and of love. And he thought, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Is there anyone in Saul's line, in fact, Jonathan's line, is there someone that I can show kindness to? He remembered his covenant promise. He remembered I'd made a promise of Jonathan going out to the battlefield. If I die, will you take care of my family? And David had made that oath and that covenant, that promise to say, yeah, I'll look after your family. And suddenly that morning, he woke up with that question. He didn't want to go after revenge and kill the family, but he wanted to go and make a difference. This king wanted to step, it, step in with kindness and compassion for the lost. Kindness and compassion for those on the outskirts of society. Those who are marginalized, those who are broken. He wanted to step in and make a difference. And my question is this morning, can we be a church? Can we be a group of people that rise up in the spirit of David, of comp compassion and kindness to look out for who could we can invite to the table? Because so often I believe what we do is we get so busy in life, don't we? Particularly three weeks to Christmas, 21 days. We've got it all about this is what I'm looking at. No, no, we don't need to be looking like this, but we need to look on the outside. Who can I invite? Who do I need to pull up a chair at the table for? Who can I say, come to my Christmas services? Come. Who can we put this in the hand of and say, I'm going to be bold enough to say, I don't know how you're going to receive it, but will you come? Because I want to tell you something, people do want to come. And some people need an excuse to come. Oh, well, it's Christmas. I'll come to church. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I handed one of these invites to, to a lady. And it was such an amazing reaction because it really moved me. Because I said, I've got an invitation for you to come to our Christmas services. And she took it and she went, oh. She put it to her chest. She went, oh, I've been waiting for this. Thank you. I'll be there. And it was so moving. I thought, I've handed you an invitation. But every day we have an opportunity to invite people to know about Jesus, to invite people to tell them about our beliefs, to explain why we do what we do, why we serve God, why we love God, to tell our testimony. There's power in your story, church. There's power in your story to bring others to the table because Jesus wants us all to come to the table. So I want to encourage you today, pull up a seat for someone at the table. Who told you about Jesus? Just thinking about this, I was thinking in our lives, there has been somebody in each of our lives that has been instrumental in bringing us to the table. So maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents showed you the way of getting to the table. They told you about Jesus. They brought you to church week in, week out. And then you started to have your own relationship with Jesus. You came to the table. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, but you had a praying grandparent who lived miles away. But they're the ones that would phone you up, they'd write to you, they'd encourage you and they'd tell you about Jesus. Maybe none of your family had ever been to church or had relationship with Jesus. But it was that work colleague when you said, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to church. Oh, going to church. Do you want to come? It's as simple as that. And they took you to church and you got to know about Jesus. Maybe it was somebody at college who said, what are you doing Friday night? Well, I'm going down the pub. Would you want to come to youth? Because on Friday, there's 30 of us that gather and we talk about Jesus and we praise and worship Jesus and then we have a right laugh. Do you want to come to youth? You know, there's power in an invitation. 
there's power in saying, would you like to come? But often we get busy in life and we don't think to invite someone who is desperate for somebody to say, come, I want to show you a different way. Come to the king's table. Come as you are. He calls you to come to his table. So let's be those encouragers that will tell people about Jesus. Who are you praying for? Who are you setting time aside? You know that person who you work with, that really annoying person maybe in the natural, but you're praying for them. Are you going to invite them to church? Because maybe if they came to church and they had an encounter with Jesus, they might not be annoying anymore. But come on, whatever your motivation, let's get people to the table. Let's bring people to Jesus. But maybe as I tell this story, maybe you do know Jesus, but maybe you feel like Mephibosheth. Maybe you feel like, I do know Jesus, and I've had that encounter, and I'm in relationship with him, and I'm in his presence, and I love Jesus, but you know what? I feel like I'm in the place of nothingness. I feel like I'm in Lodabar. I feel like that thing that happened to me, that thing that happened years ago or happened last week, I feel stuck. I feel stuck in this place of, of the trauma that happened, and I just can't seem to get through, and I just can't seem to get over it, and I feel like I've been forgotten. You know, I, I was the king's grandkid. I had royal bloodline. My life should have gone this way, but then I became crippled by that situation. You know, it happened to me and it was no one's fault. And it's just one of those things that happened. But it feels like my life has been stuck in this place of nothingness. And I'm like, if only I could just get through it. And God, are you even there? God, can you see me? God, this has happened. And if only that had broke through. And if only we hadn't broken up. And if only I'd stepped into that job. And if only I hadn't racked up the date debt and if only this had happened to me you know we can go through all these emotions in our mind and I'm stuck in this place and God are you even there but as I wrote this I just I had that moment where the Holy Spirit was like you need to tell some people something this morning for those of you that feel forgotten for those of you that feel you're in the land of nothing for those of you looking at life today and thinking this is what it shouldn't have been like and you're stuck in that place God told me very clearly to say to you this morning I haven't finished writing your story. I haven't finished writing your story. And whatever it looks like now, you have not got to the end of the book where it says the end. God is saying there's another paragraph. In fact, there's another chapter. In fact, there's more and more pages. This book is bigger than you thought because I haven't finished writing your story. Because we do not read in the Bible that Mephibosheth was lamed at the age of five and lived in the land of Lodabar, the end. We don't because we have an amazing God who stepped in to his story. Like the amazing God we serve today who will step into your story and write a different ending. We're on this journey of faith and we have to believe what the Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? That God has plans and purposes for our life. And I get excited with this this morning because God wants to keep writing your story. So you might find yourself crippled by what happened. But I want to tell you, I know a God of restoration and I know a God of breakthrough and I know a God of deliverance and I know a God of healing and he's the God that we serve and he's saying, come to my table, church today. I haven't finished writing your story. Come on. So back to the story of David. So David has inquired of his servants. He said, is there anyone? Is there anyone in the land that I can go and bless? And they come back with a report. Yes, Jonathan has got a son. He had a son called Mephibosheth. I wonder if they could say it really quickly. It's probably like John back in the day. You know, he's got a son called John. It's much easier. Mephibosheth. And so David says, brilliant. 
bring him to me. Call him to me. I want to meet him and I want to do something for him. So this is where we pick it up in 2 Samuel 9, verses 6 to 7. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So initially, when he meets him, imagine he's dragged himself in, in front of him. Imagine him probably on the floor. And he says, don't be afraid. Because in that moment, you've been summoned by the king. And you would know what culture at the time would say. If you're going to be summoned by the king, he's probably going to chop your head off. He's probably going to kill you because he could legally do that. So instantly, David says, don't fear. I'm inviting you to come in. I'm inviting you to my table, so don't fear. And you see, the world needs to know that when God says, I want you to come to my table, it's because he wants to say, I want you to come because I love you, not because I'm going to come and tell you off. And perhaps the world needs to see that the church is not there saying, oh, no, you can't come to the table because God thinks you're naughty. No, he doesn't. He says you're on the nice list. You can come to the table. I want to invite you to the table. I don't know what happened with the accent there. I haven't had one for a while, have we? There we go. You've got the naughty one. There we go. But he's saying, come to the table. You will always be invited at my table. What does it say there? You will always eat at my table. Don't fear. I'm not here to tell you off. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to invite you into a better life. And we need that kindness for the world, church. Come on, come in. Yes, you'll be welcome. Come to the king's table. It's a bit like with Jesus. We don't get what we deserve, but he comes, God of grace, and says, come to the table. And he restores us and brings us back to life. And this is what David would do in that story. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to bring you back to life. I'm here to give you the life you should have always had. And you should have always lived, but you've been in that place of nothingness and of distance and of no communication for so long. I'm bringing you back into relationship. You're going to be at the king's table. What a privilege. And we all get that privilege. And so does everyone outside the walls of the church. But look at Mephibosheth's reaction to this. Very next verse, 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? See, he was so full of shame. He thought, Look at me. I'm crippled. I've lived in this place of no communication. And of lostness for so long. And, and I'm coming into your presence. You're the king. You're the king of Israel. You're, you're King David. And I'm in your presence. But uh, what, why would you do this for me? I'm just a dead dog. To refer to yourself as a dead dog, you don't think much of yourself. You see, he was crippled by shame of what had happened to him. Of where he'd ended up. Of how he'd life, life had been. But the truth is in the story is his name is so significant. You know, all through scripture, every name is significant. And something always behind the name, like the name of Lodabar. It wasn't like the, you know, Israel's oldest recorded town. It didn't have a nice little ring to it. It had a bad ring to it. But his name, and it's so interesting when I looked this up, I was like, wow, it jumped off the page at me. Mephibosheth means exterminator of shame. Exterminator of shame. You see, that rises up in me. First of all, I thought of the Daleks, exterminate, exterminate, you know, and Doctor Who. But it's like... But yeah, let's slay some shame. Slayer of shame. And God prophetically allowed his name to be 
exterminator of shame because that's what would happen in his life because he had a, a life full of shame he felt ashamed of what had happened to him felt ashamed that he'd been taken out of royalty and into this place of forgottenness and yet God would use David to restore back to him everything that was lost and he's saying exterminator of shame but David saw beyond the shame he didn't even say well yeah look at you no do you know what he saw he saw Jonathan's son Jonathan the warrior Jonathan my mate Jonathan my best friend Jonathan the one that would go out to the battlefield I see a warrior in you because you're from the king's bloodline and we need to say to some people we see warriors in you we see warriors in you you know people have so much shame so much shame in the church and outside of the church I, I can't come to church you give me that but you don't know what I've done can I accept that and come? I'll, I'll be embarrassed. You see, I once had a relationship with Jesus, and, and once I was in church and I was on fire, but you know, stuff happened. I got in with that group, and this happened to me, and I came away. And how can I possibly come back? <laughs> Jesus says, There's a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table for you. But I'm so ashamed about what I did in my life and what I did to my family and where I ended up. No, no, there's a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table for you. But, but you don't know how bad I've been and you don't know what I said and you don't know the, the miscommunication in my marriage and you don't know what's happened with my mom and you don't know how awful I've been. Yeah, but Jesus does and he still says, come to the table. He says, come to the table. And I'm ashamed about the debt and about the failure and about the job and the things I messed up. No, it doesn't matter. Just, just come to the table table you know come on we have got to show people that it doesn't matter because Jesus says that I died for all your sin and all of your shame so that you will be made righteous to me come on let's get rid of the shame let's be like David's that look beyond that look beyond the judgment of oh yeah fallen short there no 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 there's a seat at the table for you and just come and it doesn't matter if you come to the table and you know what you smell a bit it doesn't matter if you come to the table and you don't look quite right how you should look in church because some people won't come to church because they think well you've got to look a certain way I invited somebody once so I don't know I've got the right outfit you can wear what you want come into church because you're welcome because you're going to be family so let's get the shame off people I believe God has called us to be exterminators of shame to break the shame and the chains of people so exterminate church shame come on so then David goes about his restoration plan. I love this. So by the way, he ignores when um, Mephibosheth is like, I'm a dead dog. You know, what, can, why do you do this for me? Because the very next verse, David doesn't even notice that. And this is what he says. So 2 Samuel 9, verse, uh, sorry, 2 Samuel 9, verses 9 to 11. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I love that picture of restoration. Not only am I going to bring you to my table, but I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to send out Ziba's 15 sons and his 20 servants, and they'll farm the land for you. They'll make sure you have food. They'll make sure you've got a place to live. There's provision at the king's table. And you'll eat at my table as one of my sons. What a privilege to eat the table like a son. 
to be invited to the palace for Christmas Day and to sit with Prince Charles and Prince William and Catherine. Imagine that. I mean, that would be an honour in the natural. But even more than that, we've been invited to the table with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've been grafted in as sons and daughters as part of the family. Each and every one of us, whatever our background, whatever our situation, we've been called to the King's table. We are sons and daughters. You know, something happens at the king's table when it's community. Healing happens. Restoration happens. When you're in a church community, when you're in a connect group, when you're in people's lives, healing happens, breakthrough happens because you're there to encourage one another. Christmas dinner would be really boring around the table on my own. But Christmas dinner is amazing around the table full of my family. You know, and we've got all sorts in our family, haven't we? We've always got that mad uncle, haven't we? There's always that person that says the inappropriate joke. All of us have that one family member that we're like, a little bit cuckoo. And if you don't know who they are yet, it's probably you. <laughs> Just saying. Probably is. But, but we've all got them around the table, haven't we? But that's what brings the banter. That's what brings the laugh. I tell you what, we laugh so much over Christmas that I get a sore throat from laughing so much. But isn't that way, the way it should be? And that's how it should be in church. We are called to be family together seeking after the king, growing in ministry together, growing on this journey of faith, coming, helping one another, encouraging one another, picking each other up when we're down and helping each other get healed up. That's what church is. And that's why we need to say, come and join in. There's room for you in our church. Jesus calls us king's kids, sons and daughters of the most high. So God's heart for us is to pull up a seat. And maybe you think, yeah, I've had my seat, but I know I've sort of folded it up and it's put on the side at the moment. Well, God is saying, I love you. I'll always love you. I love you the same. I don't come to judge you, come to heal you, come to set you free from the sin that entangles you. And I want to tell you there's a place at the table, so pull your chair up again. If you've been a bit distant from me, forget about that. Your name tag's on the table and I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back into relationship. I'm calling you back into closeness. I'm calling you back into intimacy. There's a place at the table for you and there's a feast here. There's a feast of forgiveness. There's a feast of healing. There's restoration. There's provision. There's hope. There's laughter. There's love and life at the table and I'm calling you back to the table. But if you've already got your seat there, go and grab a seat for someone else. Go and grab a seat. We might eat our Christmas dinner without our elbows out because we're squished around. But you know what? That's where life happens. That's where love happens. That's where laughter happens. And there's always room for one more. There's always enough turkey to go around. There's always enough sprouts. There's always leftovers of sprouts, if we're honest. But let's be truthful here. We're in church. But you can pull up a chair for someone else that we all can join in. That's God's heart. God's heart is right here in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And our invitation to church, not just at Christmas, but for every day of the week, our invitation to people to come into relationship in our homes, in our houses, in our churches, on a Sunday and throughout midweek, he's saying, come and have relationship God has not come to condemn you. He's come to save you. And he wants relationship with you. So I could ask you to stand. I'd love to pray for you this morning.
Okay, get comfortable, close your eyes, lift your hands, whatever you want to do. I want to pray for a few different categories this morning. And first of all, I want to pray for those people who have felt like Mephibosheth, who felt like they've been in the land of nothing, and they've been in the place on the outskirts, their life hasn't matched up to how they thought it'd be, and they've gone through some stuff. If that's you today, you can respond with your hand, but you don't have to. You can respond on the inside here. If you're looking at your life today and thinking, oh, I need to come back to that table. I need to be back in relationship with Jesus again. I want to pray for you. So Father God, I want to lift up each and every person who's felt that distance, has felt stuck in that place of nothingness, has felt like they can't quite get over what happened and they've felt distant from you. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and you'd minister to each and every one. That they would know that the invite is always open. That you're saying, come to my table. Come and dine with me again, church. There's a seat for you. and Come back into relationship. Father, I pray that you break off any shame over people's lives here. I felt like I can't come back because of that. And you're saying, I want you to come as you are. Come as you are, come back. Just like the prodigal son, the father ran when he saw him to greet him. And King of kings and Lord of lords is saying, come to the table, church. Come to the table. I want to pray healing and restoration over every life that has felt crippled. Over what happened to you. Over what they did and you can't quite get over it. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come now by your power. And you'd heal people and restore and break off the chains that hold them in that place of nothingness and bring them into that place of fruitfulness and of restoration. I want to pray restoration over your lives this morning. Jesus. And Father, I want to pray, the second category I want to pray for is those who've already got the seat at the table. Those who say we're in great relationship with Jesus and we've got our seat. I want to pray, Lord God, that there would be a burning of compassion for the lost on your church. That you would just make our hearts break for what breaks yours, Father. When we see those limping and and walking in life crippled because they don't yet know you, that we would be bold enough to say, come to church. We'd be bold enough to share our story and our faith. Lord, stir your heart's church to be a heart of compassion and kindness. That Who can we look out to? Who needs to have a relationship with Jesus? Well, it's everyone. So let us be those that look. Let us be those that see people. Let us be those who've always got you on our lips to say, come along. That we'll be bold enough to just pray for people in the middle of Tesco's. We'll be bold enough to just say, I want to pray for your situation. Lord God, there's a lost world out there. So empower your church to reach out, to reach out of the church and bring in the lost. Jesus, thank you. And thirdly, maybe you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus today. I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never said, yes, I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. If that's you, I'd love to, you to raise your hand today so that I can pray for you. Come on, there's people responding this morning. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Okay, so if we all pray this line, it's an amazing moment because you're actually saying, I come into a relationship with Jesus, that I want you central to my life. Okay, so if you repeat after me, church. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Thank you, you took all my sin and all my shame. And today I enter in relationship with you. I want you to be central in my life. 
my King and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that this morning, welcome to the table. Okay, let's have a, let's have a round of applause for all those who prayed that.